Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery with your hosts Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. One hundred two point three FM Los Angeles. One hundred two point three FM Riverside. And one hundred five zero AM Palm Springs. Oh my! All right, welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm sitting at the controls, Al Warren, and my co-host today is John Copenhaver. Thank you for being here, John. Hi, Al. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing really good. Now. Uh, we've got uh, quite an interesting guest who's just uh, blowing all the doors open all over the place. And uh, he's he's got a new book that's a number one bestseller in LGBT thrillers. And um, and you know him. You've been around, so you, you know him. And uh, this is the first time I've met him, but it's a pleasure. So welcome to the show, PJ Vernon. Hi. Thank you all so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited uh, to get into this. Oh, well, we'll see. We'll see at the end of the show if you're still happy. <laughs> so, well, PJ, first, before we get into the new book, um, where did where did it start for you? And, and I mean the writing part of things. Like, how did you decide to uh, become a writer and actually venture out to get something from Yeah, it? that's a great question. I, um, so I've always been a storyteller my whole life. Um, I remember being a kid and, you know, I'd pop a VHS uh, Disney movie or whatever movie um, into the DVD and it, it would be on for maybe um, <laughs> pop the VHS into the DVD, into the player. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it, maybe we're like 10, 15 minutes in the movie and instantly I'm, I'm running upstairs to grab my figures to like play it out how I feel like, you know, it should it should go because, you know, the story really um, is something that's always been important to me. Of course, always uh, tried to write um, you know, uh, when I was younger, in high school specifically, and then I took a big old detour 
um, to uh, grad school, became an immunologist, and most of my writing was, was scientific. So it actually wasn't until um, I abandoned gainful employment and moved to Canada um, with my now husband, uh, to be with my now husband, Barry, um, that all of a sudden I had uh, some time on my hands to take writing seriously. So I really started um, trying to make this happen um, in 2016 when I uh, moved up here. Well, that's that's interesting. But what was the catalyst? But and not only just timing and moving to Canada, but what was the catalyst that made you feel, um, how do I say, brave enough to to actually put something out for everyone to read? Yeah, I would. I, the only thing I would change is I would say the cowardice, um, just because I <laughs> I uh, kind of didn't have a choice. I again, you know, as I. Uh, queer uh, kid coming from um, John's uh, neck of the woods in, in the southeastern um, U.S. I uh, went and, and got all this education and terminal degrees because I was insecure. Um, and when I made a choice to uh, leave that um, for my personal life, um, I underestimated sort of how much I had defined myself um, by those and nothing else. Um, and so when I yanked the rug out from under myself and found myself in Canada um, without that, you know, on the other side of that that sort of trauma hit, um, so to speak, I was like, I've got to do something. This is, this is something I've always loved. Um, there, I guess I should say there wasn't really, I was an immunologist for the defense department. So there wasn't really a job I could just move into here in Calgary where I am now. Um, and so I kind of just, I was like, here's my shot. Let's, let's do it. Um, there was that. And there was another moment I was in a bookstore um, and I was looking around and I was like, there's thousands of books here. I would recognize almost none of these folks in an airport if I saw them. So really, maybe I can do this. And maybe it's not um, Stephen King or Bust, you know. Um, so that was that was a powerful moment, I, I'd say, when I was able to take myself seriously as a writer. Did, did that help with your insecurity, like actually putting the book out? Oh, yes. Um, so I, uh, I didn't realize it before. I, I never think things through. I have ADHD. And so until after it's too late, then I consider, you know, all of the consequences. And I, I was like, I just want to write a thriller. I want it to be queer. I want to be able to draw upon the same lived experiences every author can, uh, does, that other author does when they're creating their works. Um, and so uh, I wasn't thinking so much about my insecurities or how it would feel after. Um, but then once the book was out uh, in, in the world, about a week or two later, I did have a moment where I felt this, I was on a walk and I felt this incredible catharsis because I did have a lot of things to say, um, you know, through my storytelling um, that I hadn't been able to do. And I, I underestimated how powerful that sort of catharsis would be. And the insecurities, I would like to say, um, were mitigated by my own personal growth and understanding. Um, but it was really just the validation from readers. There were, you know, quote, unquote, uh, mainstream thriller readers that didn't seem to, to uh, you know, give a crap if, um, you know, my book was, involved queer characters or who, what characters, as long as it was a good story. So when they started telling me it was the good story, that, uh, as all writers can relate, <laughs> Yeah. That mitigated my insecure. external validation is always great. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice thing, you know. It's, it doesn't happen all, enough. Um, but you know, so so the theme of the book, you know, you, it's a crime, it's a crime thriller. Um, it, it was really important for you to have um, gay characters. Absolutely, it was so important because that's who I am, um, and that allows me sort of unfettered access. Um, to my own, again, lived experiences, history, 
friends, families, things folks have told me or that have happened to people that I love that otherwise um, I might have to reshape or reform to make it fit into a different novel um, that, that doesn't include uh, someone like myself um, on the page. Uh, having crimes done to them just like anybody else, right? Mm. So, so how do you get your characters? Like, where do they come from for you? They come from um, I, things that are, they're sort of a patchwork quilt of um, different things that, that I've either encountered in my life or that have led me to think of, you know, to have this moment where I'm like, oh, that'd be cool. So um, things that are sticky, if, you know, if a friend shares a, a particular experience happen um, to them um, and it really resonates with me for some reason, um, that's sort of a gut instinct thing. And I'm like, oh, if I, if that really pops to me, let's file that away. Uh, because chances are maybe that would pop to someone else, particularly if I could, you know, change it and fictionalize it and up the stakes. Um, so really it's the characters come from almost like a feeling like I, I had a feeling I wanted a character like Oliver. Um, and, you know, once I had sort of set up how this book uh, would open, um, it became a mining process of going through all of these things, these sort of memories, these sticky things that people have said or done or perhaps that have happened to me and maybe, um, you know, I was very anxious in a situation that didn't turn out to be dangerous, but what if it had become dangerous sort of sort of thinking? Um, and so once I sort of have a feeling of, of what I need, what kind of voice I want for a particular character, um, you know, that's, that's kind of all I need to start with. And then I can just sort of figure them out um, as, I, as I go, uh, especially if I've kind of worked out, you know, their moral compass and what their, what their perceptions are of sort of right and wrong and in between from the get-go and how that might change. So it all starts with a feeling, I guess, would be a way to say it succinctly. A feeling, a feeling. of sticky things in a bathhouse. Who'd, who would have suspected? <laughs> who would have known? You know, what, one thing that I, uh, I really loved about bathhouse was sort of the scrutiny it was giving a, a gay marriage. Um, I, I don't know if you had any of this occur in, in your life, but I know that when gay marriage became a possibility, <clears throat> The first thing all my straight friends asked my, um, well, partner, Jeff, now husband, um, was, when are you getting married? When are you getting married? Like, it was the thing to do. And I was like, well, wait a second, guys. You know, you're, <laughs> I'm just going to get married because you can. Like, you know, you get married because ultimately you're, you're, you know, this is something you commit to. So, you know, I think there's a, a lot of times mainstream culture wants to cast gay marriage as a sort of perfect, blissful you know, somehow the gays are getting it right. You, you kind of took a, a, a fraught gay marriage and explored it. Was that intentional or wh why were you doing that? <laughs> it, well, I got to say, first off the top, I, yeah, that's absolutely happened to me during that whole conversation. I remember being so frustrated um, because I'd be, you know, in, in queer spaces with friends who had all of these different opinions of, oh, okay, well now, just like you said, marriage is, is, uh, is accessible. So we should all go do it. Cause that seems like a great decision, no matter, you know, <laughs> no, matter no matter what. Um, but then on the other side, there were other folks who were sort of rejecting, um, you know, everything that marriage, you know, all the baggage of marriage that came along with it and, and sort of the uh, patriarchal system that it's, you know, sort of set up around and, right. and, you know, and so I found myself, you know, uh, much younger at the time thinking, well, where do I fall on this? Because because I agree with aspects of, you know, my friends who are saying, you know, screw this. 
Um, but on the other hand, I'm like, I, I was in a relationship at the time and I would have really appreciated, you know, uh, that, you know, that my uh, uh, boyfriend at the time wasn't a, a U.S. citizen, you know, so right off the bat, there was a huge, um, a huge systemic barrier um, for us that had real life consequences. So uh, definitely it happened to me. I think for the in the book's case, it was very important um, to show readers um, that all we're really getting is access to the same opportunities for happiness and to thrive and the same opportunities um, to find ourselves in toxic situations that aren't good for us. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think because so many of us, um, it, at least myself and for so long, had so much shame and self-hatred, I mean, it's, it really became um, in a vacuum of representation, you know, a breeding ground for all kinds of behaviors and, and codependencies and things that um, maybe if, if, you know, we'd been a little more normalized might not have happened. And so I think it's really great. Uh, I appreciate seeing that in fiction um, when I see messy folks navigating challenges uh, that might be something I could encounter. And then therefore, because I've seen it in pop culture, uh, navigate that challenge a little bit differently. Because um, whether we like to admit it or not, I mean, at least for me, pop culture is where I get a lot of points of reference of, you know, how, sure. how I should navigate anything. What do you want people to take away from the book? I, first and foremost, want them to look up and be like, oh, that was a flight from New York to Los Angeles that just blew by. Or, um, <laughs> you know, that, that they put it down and they're like, wow, that was fun. There was an entertainment payoff. Um, I'm a really big fan of what S.A. Cosby said about Razorblade Tears, which um, just came out uh, a couple days ago and is just a terrific book. He, he frames it as, you know, you, uh, he quotes Mary Poppins, where he says, you know, you, the sugar, a little bit of sugar helps the medicine go down. Um, and so he's, he, you know, says he gives sugar in the form of this riveting plot, but then there's a little bit of medicine because folks step away and learn from it. And so what I would like folks to maybe take away um, is, you know, these People that aren't like you are just, it's just as easy uh, to cultivate empathy for them. Um, their stories are just as gripping as long as they're, you know, the reader's jam. Um, and, you know, at the, so at the end of the day, uh, it, it shouldn't matter um, what kind of community any character comes from. And so I hope that when folks put the book down, even if they say, oh, P.J. Vernon didn't write my favorite book or I didn't really care for this specific book, if there is another queer title, another queer author that's coming up, um, they're going to say, you know, they're going to give that book a shot. Maybe they'll do it better. You know, they'll find that story as opposed to thinking it's, it's not for me because it's, you know, different from me, um, which I haven't really encountered a lot of. And it's been really encouraging. Yeah, well, it's still early. True. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you now, do you write um, when you write this, uh, the bathhouse itself? Do you write that as a character? I yeah, I do. I, I definitely treat um, scene and atmosphere specifically as a character with its. Uh, you know, like what does it have at stake? What does it want? What's you know um, preventing it from getting it? Um, and which is not you know maybe the best way to sort of lay it out because it's you know personifying this this uh, building. Um, but it's very important to, you know, make sure that like any character, it's been fully fleshed out, that there's a real palpable sense of mystery, suspense, of danger, um, and making sure that, you know, you include um, details for the reader um, to be able to, to tap into that. So, um, you know, in the bathhouse, it's, it, everything's obscured, it's steamy, it's, 
Um, it's jungle hot and sweaty, and, and I joke, it's, it's all those words people hate, damp and moist and, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I, like, put the word moist in your uh, manuscript, and it will carry so much terror um, for you, uh, for, for your readers, um, because it really is, like, it's that confined, it's that claustrophobic, confining um, cage, and if if it has, if we're to believe the character is going to undergo some sort of change and be able to escape whatever problems are happening on the page, then you know the setting and the scene also undergo um, changes. So maybe the first time you encounter the bathhouse in the book might not be uh, the same as the second time, um, or when folks are talking about it somewhere else later on in the story. Um, so it very much is a character. St- and on, in, on the flip side, uh, to contrast that. So was their Georgetown um, townhome, very much a character uh, in stark contrast with um, the bathhouse, uh, very nice and ordered and neat and, and hopefully not dangerous at all. The bathhouse, moist and easy. There you go. <laughs> mm. I, I just, uh, but you, were you worried about um, presenting or calling it bathhouse? Um, in the sense of, uh, of of the title in itself, because it kind of encompasses an idea, a stereotype of what a bathhouse is to people that are both straight and gay. Yeah, I, I mean, so my like the sort of first answer um, to that is, you know, I I wasn't concerned from a titling perspective. Uh, actually, that was the title the draft had, and it stuck um, throughout the process because it started to become a real draw um, for folks on the industry side before it was out. Um, in the world, um, and so so I the reason I love it is because it sets expectations. Um, no one's going to get in. Hopefully, um, no one's going to get into this book and open it and be shocked that there's sex on the page. Be shocked um, of the sorts of you know uh, again settings and scenes and plot points that they're going to encounter, um, and. You know, the the more and more I can align reader expectations with what they're going to deliver, um, the better off I think I'm going to be, and the book's going to be as as uh, you know its creator. Um, but the second part to that question um, is, you know, yes, I do have uh, conflict inside me um, when it comes to using a bathhouse, you know, which is a safe space. Um, or grinder, um, safe spaces that are necessary for uh, queer folks where we've collectively come together and said, you know, it's because we can't, you know, necessarily be ourselves or at the time in public, we can't, some of us still, I have an issue with PDA in public even still, um, then, you know, it's, we've collectively decided there are these safe spaces for us to be ourselves and, and make connections and do whatever else we plan to do on Grindr. Um, and that I'm using that in a plot uh, as a vehicle for danger, um, yes, I, I worried about that. On the other side of that, I also think Tinder's fine um, at, to use in a book, and no one says anything. Or if, if someone almost got strangled in a grocery store, um, you know, am I really painting Food Lion in a negative light? Um, hopefully not. Uh, so. That, I, the reason I can't come up with a, a better answer for that is because it's something I'm actively still thinking about. Um, but this was the best story I could tell, um, told in the best way I could tell it at the time. And so I, I did my um, best to make sure I did everything um, justice and, and delivered for readers and on behalf of our community. 
Mm. Yeah, I just wonder. Uh, I mean, because you're in a way you're trying to normalize it. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. It shouldn't be transgressive. So, I, um, yeah, I guess from that angle, um, like what's transgressive about, about you know, folk consenting adults, uh, you know, taking part in an activity, um, you know, sex in the case of a bathhouse, which is just as evolutionarily compelled as, as you know, drinking and eating. Um, it, what's, mm. Yeah, it shouldn't be so transgressive. And, and that, that's something I, I stand behind it and proud of the way I presented it, I hope. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I wonder if doing that takes away the safe space part of it. Oh, I hope I have. I hope I haven't given people ideas. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, if someone's a sociopath, well. they're going to do something horrible. They're going to be creative right. and figure find a place to do it. Yeah. Um, well, I, I just think, I think not only necessarily kill, but I think that um, the more we open up our lifestyle to the general public. Um, it opens up to more of, you know, them being aware of what we do do and what our lifestyle is. And I think sometimes that's a bit of a surprise for some people. I see your point there for sure. And I will say, if bathhouses, for whatever reason, become like a bachelorette party, uh, <laughs> <destination>, <laughs> I will come back on this show and apologize profusely <laughs> Um, to every single uh, person in the community. Yeah, the Bachelor 2022, <laughs> they're going to be live from the bathhouse. Oh, <laughs> you'll, you'll just have to write your next thriller and call it the ba- Bachelorette Party. <laughs> the bachelor- yeah. it'll, be, it'll be like one by one, Agatha Christie style or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And um, then <laughs> Well, and so did you um, – uh, you know, I was going to say, and I do this to quite often with 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 fiction writers. Um, do you go out and and look for um, information to write about a story, such as crime and things like this, um, from going out and being part of different parts of society? I say so. So, did you get your experience from going to bathhouses? Is this sort of a uh, something you draw from? I mean, I have done all the re- I had done all the research on the bathhouse and grinder and all that toxic relationship front um, <laughs> well before I knew I was ever going to be writing about it exhaustively. Um, and so, yeah, like we were just talking about, there there are these aspects of the community that we all know about, um, or most of us, you know, whether we choose to engage in them or not, you know, we're, they're there and we're acutely aware of them. Um, and so, so you know. Yeah, I. Uh, sorry, I just totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's all right. You you put your mind went into the bathroom. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, no, I just you know because a lot of times uh, you know when you're writing about a you know there's a story. This is a oh. this is a thriller and there's things going on. You've got a story going on and sometimes people put themselves in that situation. They learn from experience yeah. because they they don't live that way normally. And I'm just wondering what kind of things you did to um, get the story together that's all yeah so i have i'm a very anxious person um just constantly and so my mind is is catastrophizing all the time figuring out what's the worst thing that could possibly happen often to my own detriment you know when i uh (laughs) for whatever reason and um and so there's been plenty of times where i was like you know gonna go meet some guy from grinder uh you know late at night never a total stranger's apartment that I'm, you know, taking a train over to. And I'm just like, oh, you know, I hope this person doesn't kill me. Um, we'll, we will find out. 
Um, and, you know, I, so <laughs> from, from the books, you know, plotting the book, it was, a lot of it was about that anxiety that I had, like, how would we raise stakes to make, to like justify that? Like, I felt like I was, you know, in, in such danger, you know, perhaps, um, what could have possibly happened that would have terrifyingly validated that? Or uh, to give another example, um, with Oliver and, and his husband, uh, his, his, you know, perfect, older, successful um, husband, husband uh, Nathan, um, you know, with, with their relationship, I, um, they, you know, there have been times where I've had dates with men um, and they, you know, have done things that were incredibly off-putting, um, on a, you know, from even laughable, like trying to order dinner, you know, for on your behalf or, um, you know, very clearly trying to impress you in a vapid, transparent way. But I, I, I could laugh about that um, and, and laugh about it with friends later and never see that person again. Um, but I, I think to myself, what would have happened if I had been in a position like Oliver, the protagonist in the book, where I felt like I didn't have a choice, where I felt like, oh, well, this this free meal I've had ordered on my behalf was was good and also I don't have food security and I would really love a second one. If I was in that situation, would I have found myself in a in a relationship kind of predicated on on that dynamic? Um, I've made plenty of mistakes in my life, so I'm sure I could have made that one just as well. So it's kind of about gaming out, right? Um, you know what bad things could have happened. Uh, and that's the sort of personal experience I draw from. The other stuff, I mean, as far as like research, I mean, I've got a medical background, so of course, you know, uh, that stuff is, is good, or I've got colleagues um, that can help me out. Um, but as far as research goes, I always sort of get right first and get into trouble later. Um, so it's all about just getting the story out uh, on the page uh, at first, not, not worrying too much about the details. Who is Oliver Park to you? Oliver Park is someone who deserves um, the opportunity to define themselves on their own. Um, Oliver Park starts this book, uh, or before the story even starts, um, without having a solid appreciation uh, or understanding of, of who he is as a, hu as a human, um, what he deserves and what he doesn't deserve um, from other folks. And uh, again, before the story starts, he had found himself at a rock bottom, so to speak, in his life. Um, and was finally positioned uh, to be able to figure out who he is and, and, and how he can thrive in life and what he wants um, out of life specifically. And that happened to be when uh, he met uh, his future partner, Nathan, who said, you know, being a, a surgeon, um, I got you. Don't worry about it. Um, I'm, I'm going to help point you in the right direction. And, and that doesn't really uh, help Oliver too much. So um, it's it's someone who deserves to, to go through that process despite other folks in his life uh, making that challenging for him. So so where do the characters come from for you? Like, do you, do you hear voices in your head or do you, like, how does, how does, uh, how does, it, is it someone you've seen um, in a coffee shop or a, a bathhouse or something? Like, where do you, where do, where do these characters come from? Yeah, I mean, it's so again, like it starts with with that feeling. Um, but then the actual voices, it's, you know, it's wherever my brain goes first, if I'm like, okay, so for bathhouse, for example, I wanted to open this book uh, with a high stakes start in a bathhouse, someone almost getting killed. Um, and if that was the setup, 
who is the person that's, that, I, that needs to be there to tell this kind of story? Um, and, and then, you know, I've sort of, again, mine, um, you know, maybe I've had a friend who, uh, uh, you know, grew up um, in, a, in a situation very similar to all. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss since 2013 bombas has donated over 100 million socks underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness if we counted those on air this ad would last over 1157 days but if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible it would take just a few clicks because every time you make a purchase bombas donates an item to someone who needs it Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Oliver's, um, and, and I, I know them later in life when they're successful and have overcome all these challenges. And so, you know, I, I can think through what they must have gone through and what might have gone wrong. Um, or alternatively, uh, if, you know, if, I just get a feeling that a, a particular kind of voice uh, sits well, then I'm going with it for no other reason than, than I, I just like it. So uh, Nathan's mother, Kathy Klein, um, is uh, one of those horrible Lucille Bluth-type uh, characters mm-hmm. who are hilarious on TV, but horrible in, in real life, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, I, I was watching a lot of Archer when I was drafting those scenes because, of course, <laughs> Jessica Walter, who does Lucille Bluth, is there as well. And so I was like, that's a great voice. I'll tap into that one. So stealing is what I'm trying to say. Stealing. 
<laughs> so it's a completely plagiarized book, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Hey, all, all fiction is kind of that way. There we go. No <laughs> new ideas. No new ideas. Right. right. But you have a relationship with your with your. It's a, it's a weird question to me because I've always written nonfiction, so I don't have relationships with with a lot of the characters because you know it just doesn't work. Um, but so a lot of and a lot of fiction writers have told me like they they, they their characters are like their family they're like their children they're, I hear all sorts of uh, definitions like that what what is it to you what are your characters to you it it depends on the character for a character like Oliver um, I wouldn't say necessarily like uh, family but almost more of like a um, a projection of all of um, the sorts of insecurities that, you know, um, that either I've, again, I've experienced or other folks have experienced. And um, because that's sort of baked into that character um, in all the ways that we've talked about, then there's going to be a high degree of meaningfulness. So an attachment that I have um, to that character. But as I mentioned earlier, I also have ADHD and I get bored <laughs> really easily. And so <laughs> I, once I feel like I'm finished with you know, the story and the character, it, I, I'm, I'm not really, um, it's not going to hurt me, you know, if someone doesn't like that, even that character, um, you know, and then on the other side, we've got, you know, ancillary characters that I, I honestly, you know, didn't realize how much I, I didn't care about <laughs> until I was listening to the audiobook and having this dark stuff being read by these fabulous narrators back to me. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that to this, this person that I you know, he deserves so much more. Uh, so I, I kind of got retroactively attached uh, in that way. Um, and then uh, for a character like Nathan, he actually didn't even have a point of view in, in the early manuscripts. And uh, at that point, I wasn't attached to him as much because I was like, oh, this is a controlling guy who thinks he's doing the right thing, um, but is a jerk and irritating. Um, but when I started getting into his mind and pulling his point of view on the page, I started caring about him because I could connect with um, what, what he wants and, and you know, what, what's preventing him from getting it on a human level, um, even if I don't agree with the behavior unfolding. I thought it was very interesting, the two points of view back and forth between, you know, Nathan and Oliver. Um, that felt a, a little unusual for um like thriller a lot of thrillers are either lots of points of view i feel like or one consistent one versus sort of the back and forth that was sort of an interesting way to approach that story um and that's interesting you said it came a little bit later uh what made you sort of decide i, I want to do nathan you know as a, a point of view yeah it so um, I'm notoriously, my biggest weak spot is I'm an underwriter. So, you know, my, my stuff gets finished quickly and not nearly as good <laughs> as other folks. And I have to <laughs> spend a lot of time on it um, uh, on the back end. And so that original manuscript was something like 60, I think like 60 to 70,000 words. Um, and when it uh, landed on the desk of my, uh, would eventually become my editor, Rob Bloom at Doubleday, um, he took a phone call with me and said, I love it so much and, and went through all, all the reasons why um, and, and told me, you know, you've got the heart and the lungs and all the organs and, you know, whatever, but you're missing a little bit of connective tissue. Um, how can we really go deeper and make this pop? And then after that conversation, I was thinking through that 
Um, and I always try to write a scene from the perspective of whoever, whatever character has the most to lose in that scene. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized there were so many scenes or potential scenes that Nathan um, had, had so much to lose and that were happening off the page that if I could just bring them on the page, it would, it would level up the story, I hope, in a way that, that wasn't possible without that piece of advice um, that I, I had gotten. Um, and, and yeah, so as far as like, you know, why he's only in there, you know, he's not in there. It's not alternating. Like every chapter is Nathan, Oliver, Nathan, Oliver, right. like you see so right, many right. times. I, it just kind of happened organically that way. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I guess I wanted it to always be Oliver's story. Um, even if I bring in these other perspectives, uh, to make it more entertaining, um, for readers. So uh, hopefully by the distribution of those points of view chapters, it becomes clear that it's, this is Oliver's book, but there are other yeah. important people in it. Yeah, it definitely feels like Oliver's book. I think certainly, um, it, it feels very, his heart is the heart, heart of the book. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, when, when we had Matt Lubers more on, he talked a lot about, uh, um, LGBT books and, and, and large publishers not being interested and it's still really a hard sale uh, for, for the big publishers and stuff like that. Now, um, how do you feel about this situation? Because now you have a fairly successful, very visible book uh, in mainstream. You know, you've got O Magazine writing about it. You got, you, you've got a lot of exposure right now. Uh, so how was your experience getting on a, a larger label and getting it so much attention yeah it was um a challenge so i published bathhouse with a different publisher um because my agent um chris bucci did who by the way has been such an advocate for this book for years um before it would ever get acquired um didn't get that enthusiastic response um that we were looking for um for a lot of the reasons that i'm sure you can imagine and are implied um, uh, in the question. And so, you know, we said, you know, obviously, even if we were to be able to make a case, it's not just about getting um, your book sold, but it's about putting it in the right hands um, that's going, that are going to treat it and position it for success uh, the, way that, the way that the work deserves. Um, and so we went out on submission, which was uh, a, a risk uh, on my part, because I have no doubt, I know for a fact that like, I could have continued um, you know, publishing uh, books that were more aligned with what I had done earlier. Um, and I, I said, you know, no, this is the book I want to, or the story I want to tell. And the submission process, um, of course, I got plenty of rejections that were the normal stuff that we all get as writers. And then I got, um, unsurprisingly, you know, passes that you could tell, you know, that this was about more um, than the book, you know, if, if you had just published a queer memoir last year, that should not preclude you from publishing, you know, a queer <laughs> thriller. Um, that's nothing like it. Um, so that was that that was all a bit uh, challenging because it was validating all all the fears um, that that had led me to not write a queer book to begin with at first. Um, but I've got to say, once um, once Doubleday uh, made made the offer and and or asked me to revise and come back, as we had just talked about, um, it, it's been an incredible experience because I have never felt like I have been anything else but another voice um, at their uh, at their house, um, and they have treated me that way 
Um, and it's just, you know, the resources they put into the book have been incredible. And the most important thing to me uh, to come out of that and how I feel about it, uh, particularly now that the book seems to be doing uh, really, you know, pretty okay, especially with all the exposure, is the business case for these kinds of stories will not be um, an excuse that folks could use because to, to not acquire more of them. That was my biggest fear. I would go to Doubleday, this huge publisher, have this huge book, and it would, it would sink. And then the next time another author with a story to tell came, it would be, well, let's lower, let's lower that advance. PJ didn't do so well. Or let's not even acquire them. PJ didn't do so well. And so I feel, I know that's cognitive distortion, <laughs> but it's how I think. <laughs> and I'm very happy um, that I, I don't think that that's a valid reason to pass um, on a book like this in the future from, from other new voices. So, so what, what advice would you give to someone, uh, a younger writer um, that was in, it maybe is in the same position as you are, uh, only not published or, or trying to get published? Um, what would you say to them? I, I would say um, don't – well, I was going to say don't do this, but, again, I did this, and it's actually okay. So, so, so don't worry if you make mistakes <laughs> or you think you've, you've made a decision, you know, that kind of limits yourself and, and you won't be able to, to write what you want at some point um, because that, that at least in of one myself uh, did not pan out that way. So, you know, take that worry um, off of your plate, but put on your plate – um, the story that you want to tell, and, and, and that's it. Um, and be tenacious. Uh, if, if you're you know, a member of a marginalized community, you're going to have to be more tenacious because you're going to get rejections that other folks don't get, um, but you're going to get plenty of the other ones as well. So you just have to, to keep going uh, and, and don't quit as long as that's what you want to do. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's no con I don't think it's a coincidence that the biggest book deal of my life was the one where I finally unfettered myself to write from, again, a queer perspective, even though that's not what, you know, the book necessarily hinges on. Um, and I hope that those writers do exactly that because I read Bathhouse now and all I see is all the mistakes that I've made or the way word choices were poor. <laughs> um, and I know when I read other folks' books <laughs> that, that there are better, um, far, far better writers out there with ideas or books on their computer right now. Um, and I hope that whatever those are, those are the ones that they're uh, going to take out and give us because we need them. Um, so I'm so long-winded. Be tenacious. There. That's <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say? Um, so, so what, 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 how has this book changed you uh, in, in, in a lot of ways, in the way you write, in the way you, you are? Like when you look back now, you've been through the work. It's all done. It's published. It's out there now. Um, what do you think's changed about you from that? I, um, both good and bad. So, you know, of course, there's the, the catharsis and um, being able to tell that story uh, and talk about it and have that voice, um, which is, has made me feel empowered. Um, I've, I've felt freer to, um, you know, be able to, to take stands um, and, and do the right thing without worrying um, about, you know, for example, if, if a conference, you know, messages me and wants me to be um, on a panel with, you know, 16 white straight men, um, I, I feel for whatever reason, maybe because Oprah said something about me in a book or the New York Times or anything else, 
um, I feel like I'm, I've got a little bit more bulletproofing to, to tell people no um, and say, you know, this is I, this isn't a representative panel of the best, you know, whatever genre or whatever topic has to offer. Um, and that's something I, I, I would have been more I would have had more trepidation about in the past. So that's a positive change. Um, but I also have become a little I, there's a considerable amount of anxiety and fear um, on the on the other side of it. Because and as I as as y'all know by now, it doesn't take very much to spike that in me. So it's not like I'm talking about any <laughs> any major uh, challenges. But people, I'm used to being able to tweet stupid stuff that I say, and or you know, and and it could disappear into a vacuum. And there's a degree of um, freedom in that. And and now I have to actively work against trying to be. Um, just on all the time because that's that's not me. I'm myself as a as a human, and so trying to be that with the pressure of um, oh, will I alienate this person or oh, will I alienate this whole you know uh, social media platform of readers or you know whatever. So I don't know. There's a little bit of performance anxiety and pressure on the backside that um, you know is is something I didn't necessarily anticipate, although I should have. Um, and it's been uh, it's it's been I'm getting better at it in terms of uh, thinking about it in, in healthier ways and not um, not letting things uh, get to me because my part's already done. I did the work. I wrote the book. Um, so and I don't know if that makes any sense whatsoever. But so I'm empowered and afraid. I'm trying to add these sound. <laughs> I'm trying, to, I'm trying to add these sound bites at the end for the edit. <laughs> yeah. oh, there you go. Yeah, there we've got it. Um, <laughs> okay, so listen, uh, wh- where do people find you? Like, do you have a website, Grinder, yeah. whatever? Like, what, 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 how do people get a hold of you? Yeah, um, on Grinder, it, it'll be just uh, a picture of my book. Um, so if you if you buy it, put it in your apartment, like that's always a great way to get my attention. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I uh, at PJ Vernon Books um, on Twitter um, and at PJ Vernon Books on Instagram as well. And then www.pjvernonbooks.com is my, um, sometimes updated website. Um, so that's where folks, and then hmm. the book's available wherever books are sold. And it's a PJ bathhouse on grind. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, how was the pandemic for you in, in the sense that, um, does it interfere with your writing? Like, because I imagine you're working on something new now, or you've got something in mind. Maybe, and maybe you don't. But, um, but during the pandemic, um, I think the big question is not only the pandemic, but if things around you are rather, let's say, stressful or, or unhappy, or if you're in a situation where real life is kind of um, a struggle. Yeah. Do, do you write? to get out of it or just writing sort of um, incorporate what, what you're feeling? Yeah. I, I'm one of those creative folks that, you know, cannot write in the midst of um, chaos, whether it's personal or the world. Um, and so I found new words, very, very, very difficult um, throughout this pandemic. Um, I've got a manuscript that I'm working on, you know, that had already been drafted. So I'm working on it. That's a different skill set. I'm able to do that because it's making it better. Um, but that fresh creativity, I, I, I just haven't been able um, to really do it uh, this year. And I'm not punishing myself for it because I, I think I, I can barely write an email this year. Um, it takes so much out of you every, you know, it's, we all do twice as much work mm-hmm. for half the payoff. 
Um, and so I'm trying not to punish myself uh, for that. And I start to feel now I'm starting to get a little more breathing, creative breathing room and getting that appetite um, of wanting to go and get words on the page. But uh, by and large, the experience has been um, so disruptive because it's been so um, at extremes. At 11 a.m., I might get an email that, um, you know, uh, the New York Times is going to do this book review. And that puts me on cloud nine. And then, you know, at 4 p.m., a family member has COVID. Or um, at the time, I was fundraising for the local library foundation here. Um, and, of course, because of COVID, it was a lot of trying not to give money back um, to uh, different organizations for programs and services that the library was unable to fulfill. So it, there was so much stimulus happening in so many wild directions um, that I am just glad I've gotten through this without accidentally, like, screen sharing something awful on a zoom or like, you know, if I, if I make coherent, if I get out of this making coherent sentences, um, then I'll, I'll start rebuilding from there. <laughs> yeah. Were you having problems get out, getting out of bed, getting, getting the lipstick on? And you know, <laughs> that's never been an issue for me because um, I, I, I don't know. I just wear my lipstick to bed for that reason. I, I've been tattooed on uh, years ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes you just can't get out of bed, take the hair out of the rollers and all that. You know, but there's, so difficult much, there's so much stress waiting for you on the other side of that bedroom door. Why would you not want to open it and get out there and uh, experience right. it all? <laughs> well, that's, that's just it, you know. Um, well, where do you see yourself going now? Like, you know, in the future, are you gonna are you gonna keep on writing? Uh, where, or are you gonna change the type of writing you're doing? Or where where do you see yourself? Well, so I, I have got a project, um, which again is is very dark. I can't talk too much about it, but it's very dark and and queer and voyeuristic and all of this kind of stuff. Um, but it's a considerable departure um, from Bathhouse uh, because, in the same way, it was important to me to publish Bathhouse. After a debut, which uh, is a Southern Gothic suspense, I didn't want to only have to write stories in the South because that's where I'm from. So I, I did Bathhouse, and I don't only want to now write stories that are, you know, hinge on gay kink because eventually, after a very long time, I would run out of material. And so I, you know, it's it's a, it's. It's still a thriller. I hope it's terrifying. I hope it makes people think, but it's going to be different. And the one after that's going to be different because I, I don't know, writing is really hard and it's way too hard um, to do if, if I feel obligated to do it as opposed to telling a story that my heart wants to tell. Hmm. Do you, is suspense a big part of what you write or is it more just straightforward, um, you know, I don't want to say violence, but just more straightforward you know, um, terror, you know, like what, what, what's important to you in a story there? Yeah, it's the suspense a hundred percent. And I think because, um, if you, if you, it, it leaves all, most of the work, uh, of creating those fears or fantasies or whatever, um, to the reader. So I, I'm not a big fan of, I know I do it in places. I'm not a big fan of even telling folks, you know, what my characters look like, because if there's some hot guy strangling you in a bathhouse, I would like it to look like whoever your fantasy person is. Although in that specific example, that was a little bit of authorial intrusion because I put Alexander Skarsgård um, <laughs> in there for a reason. Uh, but uh, so it's, it's those details. If I would rather bring readers into a room and turn the lights off 
and have them and only tell them that the lights are off so that they decide what horrible things are in that room, um, because it would be different perhaps for, for all three of us here. Um, I, might be, I might be afraid of some sort of snake or animal or spider. Someone else might be afraid of a human. Someone else might be afraid of themselves if they're left alone in a room. So not filling in so much that readers are confined, um, but giving them just enough detail uh, so that their greatest fears are what they're afraid of. Small example is the word moist, like we were joking about, right? If I just, if I say moist, I don't have to tell you the blood and gore was moist. I can just tell you it was moist and then you decide what was moist and it'll probably be whatever the worst thing you could possibly think of is. Wow, yeah, I can't even say that. Um, so Censor all those. Yeah, that's it. So, so uh, what would PJ's biggest secret be? What, what secret do you want to tell the listeners? I think that's a good question. Um, I have not committed any felonies, so I'm not worried about copying to those on air. Um, PJ's <laughs> biggest secret is, um, I don't know if it's a big secret, but folks don't really believe me. Uh, when I t- I'm, I'm actually sort of an outgoing introvert. I, I get, I'm very excitable and enthusiastic in person. And um, so it, it sometimes doesn't feel um, that I would be, but uh, PJ's biggest secret is if PJ's left to his own devices, he will close all the blinds and watch YouTube videos on the couch all day long um, and not go anywhere, never. <laughs> See, told you, hair in the rollers. There he is. <laughs> but his lipstick looks great. Yeah, but it's how you look. It's, it's on perfect, you know, all lined up and everything. You ever going to work with another writer, oh. you think? I don't know. I think I would. I think I would. I would want to start it small, though, to see how how it goes. Um, so, yeah, I'd do something like a, maybe like a short story or but hopefully with a writer who can write short stories, because that's probably an important skill set um, that I don't necessarily have. Um, but, yeah, I would I would give I give anything a shot for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of thought you would. Um <laughs> I moved to Canada well, without a job. I'll write a book with someone else. <laughs> yeah, what, what? I mean, you can. Jeez, yeah, what more can you do? <laughs> my God, and, but in Calgary too. My God. Yeah. Well, that's as close to the U.S. and Canada as you're going to get. Yes, it is. You but... know, cowboys, oil and gas. You know, what more can you ask for? Uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I came from Texas, so it was not. I necessarily do, but no, I'm, I'm super happy to be here. It's, it's, it might be the most American city in Canada, but when I hear people, when folks complain about how, you know, oh, the mass transit here is horrible. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> congratulations, you get to not cross a 16-lane highway by foot if you yeah. want to go to the corner store. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's, cra- it's, it's on a different degree. It's a lot, lot smaller. Yeah, I know. But hey, and gorgeous. it's good. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah and it's all- you're from uh, Kelowna, you said, right? That's where I have my big home, yeah. Ooh, it's gorgeous. I had no idea. I was taking a trip, a road trip from Calgary to Vancouver. Uh, actually, actually, I fi- oh, my gosh, I'm just realizing this right now. I finished the draft of Bathhouse, the very first draft of Bathhouse at an Airbnb in Kelowna because that was the halfway point um, oh, from, uh, yeah, Calgary to Vancouver. Did you, did you have fun with the hosts? Maybe it was me. I, <laughs> <laughs> they weren't there. Um, that was oh. the whole introvert part. Um, but I had no idea that like the south of France existed north of Idaho. Um, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is gorgeous. What are we getting wrong? 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's it's the biggest secret of Canada. They know most people don't realize it's there, and that's fine. It's horrible. It's a horrible place. Yeah, don't don't <laughs> nobody go there. It's terrible. Don, you you come. Weather. I've heard terrible things, but I'm it's coming. terrible. It's <laughs> awful. It's nothing but uh, dirt and dust. It's just a terrible place to be. Oh, we got plenty awful. of room at the house. Y'all can y'all can come and then tell everyone. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, now our our guest has been the one and only uh, author of the Bathhouse, and that's P.J. Vernon. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me, Alan. I've been looking forward to this, and I appreciate it so much. And John, thank you um, for all the kind for the review that you gave Bathhouse and and those kind words. It, it meant a lot. I, I still remember uh, the Thriller Fest in 2017 trying to awkward, right. awkwardly. I was like, oh, it's a gay writer. I have to know him. <laughs> and, uh, and then it was just like the most. And then we all like find <laughs> each other like you. I was like, Hi, I know who you are. Shake your hand, and then you know, like that was awkward, but I feel because I know John now. Thank you. We all do. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.